Welcome back to the Allen College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, and it's been a few days since we last talked. I'm in Los Angeles, went to see UCLA last night at Pauley Pavilion. Uh, Going to be at the CBS Sports Classic this weekend in Las Vegas. It's UCLA, Ohio State, Kentucky, North Carolina. Terrific doubleheader. We're going to talk about that uh, here in a little while. But I wanted to start with what qualifies as a strange bit of news that involves Kansas sophomore Carlton Bragg. You might remember Bragg was arrested last Friday and charged with battery after an incident with his girlfriend. She told police he hit her and pushed her downstairs. They believed her after investigating, at least uh, initially, and they charged him with a crime. He was charged with a misdemeanor. He was charged with battery. Then police uh, subsequently investigated, and they got video from the stairwell, and it turns out the girlfriend was the aggressor. She was hitting him. Uh, She seems to have initiated everything. Uh, What the video shows, according to police, is that Bragg only pushed her to get her off of him, and what a wild story. We said on the last podcast, innocent until proven guilty, sure, uh, and that sometimes, yeah, women do make these types of allegations up, but it's very rare. It's rare that a woman makes these allegations up, but this appears to be one of the rare cases where a woman called 911 and completely made some stuff up. Long story, not so long. The charge against Bragg has been dropped. He's reinstated. Uh, to the Kansas basketball team. Now the girlfriend is charged with battery, and I hope she's the ex-girlfriend because she seems bananas for real. Matt Norlander, uh, make sense of this for me. Yeah, this is a reversal. Uh, I still don't – I'm not recanting anything of the previous podcast because we really spoke more about the issue of domestic violence within sports and how it permeates and consists, and that's still a problem just because this happened to be a rare case where police saw video evidence of a woman, you know, going after Bragg first and then Bragg in an effort to, I guess, end the altercation, uh, got physical with her to the point where one shove really did end it. And there therein shows just how much of an advantage any athlete has over a woman, let alone the male species in general. So a lot of Kansas fans after this happened, and this speaks to the problem here, um, Bragg being reinstated should happen. Bill Self 100% handled this the right way because anything, anytime anything like this happens, a player can be given uh, an innocent until proven guilty approach, but you also have to take seriously any sort of allegation, okay? The response from a lot of Kansas fans was a lot of schadenfreude, a lot of smarm, a lot of told you so, a lot of general attacks on anyone that would have wanted to give um, the benefit of doubt to both parties here. And that speaks to the issue that I have here because what you'll get is you'll get fan bases that will so want to believe their player and occasionally that will happen and, and players will be absolved of any crimes. But this has some weird basis in just a lot of men just have an issue with women in general, okay? And it, you see it anytime you see a sports story where domestic violence is at the forefront of a story and a man is being accused of a certain crime, a lot of the attention will then go toward being aggressive, obviously through an online manner where people can hide behind their Twitter handles, message boards and whatnot, and attack the woman. It's an awful, 
hideous pattern that isn't dying down and isn't going away. And just because in this particular case, and thank goodness that there was video evidence, it, just because in this particular case we have the evidence that, the, that his girlfriend or perhaps now ex-girlfriend was the aggressor at the time, it doesn't necessarily make it okay for people that want to continue to attack females and alleged victims in subsequent and inevitable future cases. So that's the thing that I made, wanted to make sure we open the podcast here with GP is that this is a good thing for Bragg and for Kansas. And you know what? If justice prevails and the video evidence proves what we see, that's great. But it, it to me, it only enhances the tendency that we see with a lot of online trolls that prefer to take the word of the athlete over the woman every single time, no matter what. And the only way that they would ever not is if you had un- indisputable proof, like in a Ray Rice case, which was obviously the reverse outcome from what we see here with Bragg. Uh, first things first, uh, I, if this young woman actually, and it appears to be the case, according to police, falsely accused uh, Carlton Bragg of, of abusing her, shame on her forever, and I hope they prosecute her to the furthest extent of the law because that is reckless and um, unforgivable to damage particularly a a public figure's name uh, the way she, again, if this is now as the police said, uh, the way she damaged Carlton Bragg's name. You know, when, when Carlton released a statement, I guess it was yesterday, said this has been a humiliating week for him and I can only imagine. Um, I, I've never been accused of anything like that. Um, you know, particularly in the year 2016, if you are accused of something like that, uh, people think of you differently than they would have, say, in the year 2006. Always bad, but much worse today. We've seen professional athletes have their uh, careers ended because of domestic violence situations. And the idea that a young woman, for whatever reason, would call 911 and fabricate a story and not only damage his reputation, but potentially cost him millions of dollars as it relates to an NBA career, I, 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 shame on her forever. I, if, if that's what actually happened here, I hope that they prosecute her to the furthest Which, extent of the law. By the way, real quick, GP, and, and for that to happen, that, that doesn't just happen, okay? There are obviously elements to that relationship that must have been in play or things that must have been culminating to lead for something like that to happen, even with the video evidence, right? I mean, that's just, when you say that statement out loud, just plainly like what she did, it it doesn't make any sort of sense that that, that the cause of events would lead that to happen. Well, she could, yeah, no, I do. I mean, but she could just be bananas, right? Like, I'm not- She could be, but I don't wanna, I don't wanna, you know. I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get involved in trying to figure out what her motives might've been. I just know if, if she actually did what it is police now say she did, which is falsely accused, a Kansas basketball player of domestic violence in a way that cost him at least temporarily his reputation and could have theoretically cost him millions of dollars. I hope she gets whatever whatever's coming her way. That said, a lot of the comments, you know, over the past 24 hours have been directed not only at us, but certainly at us about somebody owes Carlton Bragg an apology. And I will right now announce to you the list of people who owe Carlton Bragg an apology. His girlfriend. That's who. The idea that any news outlet for reporting that a public figure, a Kansas basketball player, was arrested and charged with battery owes Carlton Bragg an apology? 
like I, I don't like to uh, throw around uh, uh, labels, but like if you're somebody who has tweeted that at me or Norlander or anybody else, uh, if you've tweeted, you guys owe Carlton Bragg an apology. What happened to innocent until proven guilty or anything with even a trace of that? You are not a smart person because here's the truth. When an athlete, particularly a Kansas basketball player, is charged, charged, not accused of, although accused of will probably get you a headline, but when you're charged with a crime, mugshot, appearance in court, post bond, get a new court date, that's a news story. That, like, and that's all we ever talked about. Go back and read anything. Any, like, I don't want to speak for the whole world, but I'll speak for myself, and I'll speak for Norlander. The only thing we wrote about was Carlton Bragg has been charged with a crime. We didn't say throw Carlton Bragg in jail forever, kick him off the basketball team forever. We said if he actually did what he's accused of doing and Bill Self decides never to bring him back, that's fine with us. But the, you know, the idea that we're supposed to ignore or anybody's supposed to ignore a Kansas basketball player being charged with battery, that's just insane. Like, I'll take it a step further. If I was accused of and ch- a battery and charged with battery tonight, mugshot, court appearance, you know, you know what happened to me? There'd be headlines about me. I mean, it, they wouldn't be as prominent as Carlton Bragg headlines because I'm not a Kansas basketball player. But, like, I'd be on the big lead. I'd, I'd, I'd be on dead spin. I, I, I'd certainly make the, the paper and the local telecast Memphis back Flyer. in Memphis. You're yeah. a cover boy in the Memphis Flyer right, right. now. You'd yeah. be in that for sure. Right. So, like, it, you know, and it, it would – if I were falsely accused, it would frustrate me and I would be humiliated and upset. But I, I wouldn't think that any news outlet is doing anything wrong when, when somebody of, of – uh, with any sort of public notoriety is is charged with a crime, a headline accompanies that every single time. And I'm not saying it's, it, it doesn't ever lead to negative headlines that never go away about people who didn't actually do anything wrong. I'm just saying there's no way to avoid it. If you think anybody's wrong to report Carlton Bragg was charged with battery, tell me what the alternative to that is. Not reporting Carlton Bragg's charge with battery? He was charged with a crime. He wasn't just accused of a crime. Police investigated the crime and found at the time enough evidence to charge him with the crime. So, like, I, like I, I just I I fully expected to hear that. You know, people saying you owe somebody apology or you see what happens when you jump to conclusions. I didn't jump to a conclusion. Nope. And as far as I know, nobody else did either. You know what the, conc- the here's what I wrote. Here's what I said. Carlton Bragg has been charged with battery. Oh, that's what some idiot said. He said, "Oh, you were talking about Carlton Bragg without facts." No, I actually had facts. You know what the fact was? Charged with battery. That was a fact. Still a fact. He was charged with battery last Friday. We talked about it. That's a fact. I don't know why that's so hard to grasp for some people other than sometimes simple things are hard to grasp uh, for yeah, dumb people. And fans get way they get really connected to their teams. Um Again, if if he had done it and Self wanted to kick him off the team, would have had zero issue, and he should have been gone for the season. That wasn't the case, and 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 damn good for Bragg, and his name should be cleared from this without a doubt, but he was charged. And let's also briefly just address the fact that over the decades, most recently and most prominently in Tallahassee, local police have showed an unfortunate penchant to give uh, major college athletes benefits of the doubt or significant breaks or perhaps turn the other 
uh, cheek and look away when it comes to athletes getting into trouble among various different types of activities when it comes to breaking the law. It doesn't happen all the time. It has happened some of the time and certainly has been something that's permeated throughout college athletic culture over the decades. So when you get stories like this and it gets to the point where a player is actually charged, we should rightfully take it extremely seriously because it is very plausible that in many other instances and in other situations and other college towns, something like that might not have gone through as swiftly and as uh, you know efficiently as it had here. So that's something that is still very much on the table when you look at college athletes getting in trouble with the law and getting to the point where there are charges pressed. Those things are all in the backdrop in the modern day storytelling devices that we use. One last thing before we move on. Uh, I had some folks talk about the mugshot. Oh, you're still going to make fun of him for the mugshot? Yeah, the mugshot was still. Oh, yeah, it's an awful look. Yeah, it's still no an awful doubt. look. At the very least, he was in a a uh, uh, a physical altercation with a woman. No matter whose fault it was, this guy was very clearly just removed from a physical altercation with a woman. And. Like, that shouldn't put a smile on anybody's face. So, yes, the mugshot was still ridiculous. Yes, the mugshot, I'll still say, that's a terrible look. Um, I don't know exactly how you're supposed to look in a mugshot, but happy um, after being involved in a physical altercation with a woman. I just, I, ju- I know that's not it. I'm willing to, to debate, brainstorm about the proper way to position your face for a mugshot um, after a physical altercation with a woman, I just know that smiling ain't where we need to go. So, yes, the mugshot was still ridiculous. Yes, it was still a fact that last Friday he was charged with battery. Yes, if another Kansas player is charged with battery tomorrow, we will write about it the exact same way, talk about it the exact same way. And if he's subsequently cleared, guess what we'll do? Exactly what we did today, say that he was subsequently cleared. But I don't know how else to handle that situation other than the way we handled that situation. So I went to UCLA last night. I saw, went to Poly Pavilion, which is beautiful, by the way. First time I went there, uh, it was – it was. I think this is true. The most disappointing arena that I'd ever walked into. Because from a distance, um, you know, it's UCLA. It's, it's, it's Poly Pavilion. It's John Wooden. And you just like – you feel like you're walking into one of these um, you know, historically relevant places. And when you actually walked in, it was just ugly and – old and it's like the old yankee stadium by the way which was had so many great moments but anyone that had gone to the old yankee stadium like it it had its you know crazy charm for being the yankees when they played but the place was an absolute dump i never i had that same feeling the first time i ever walked into the bronx and i was like this is it it's it's it wasn't even close so you're on the money i I never saw the old poly but i've seen the new poly and it's tremendous the new poly is tremendous i mean they've and i've been there since they've redone it i think but like it's just beautiful and you know plus you're in southern california weather's nice you know it's middle december and uh you know you're in people are in short sleeves reason like people are in shorts some people and it's a little too cold for shorts but it was funny. I was watching the news, local news, like last night or today. At some point, I had it turned. I was this morning because I went to the concierge lounge at the hotel to get uh, some breakfast, and they had it on in there. And they're like, you know, a little bit of a cold front coming through. It's going to get down to 68 tonight. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Like, it's like 16 degrees in Connecticut right dude, now. Dude, every time I come to Southern California, it makes you reevaluate your entire life. Like, like, why do you live where you live when you could live here? Other than the obvious, it's like crazy expensive to live here. But like, if you if you are wealthy, I, why you wouldn't live in Southern California is beyond me. 
Like, it just feels, it's like, wherever you live right now, if you don't live in Southern California, wherever you live right now, think of the best day you get all year weather-wise. And you get it about 11 months out of the year. Like, without exception. It's just amazing. So, love Southern California. If I ever, like, win the lottery, I'm going to move my whole family here probably. So, I go to Poly Pavilion. Beautiful. They're playing Santa Barbara. Whatever. I, I'm here to work on a couple of other stories in advance of the CBS Sports Classic. And then a big UCLA story that I want to do for next week. Uh, Lonzo Ball was awesome again. Uh, but TJ Leaf was awesome Dude. again. Dude. TJ Leaf is great. Like, I, I felt, first off, I'm wrong to not have him on my National Player of the Year list. He's got to be in the top ten. Like, if I, whoever i got to get off, Melo Trimble, Jonathan Motley, like whatever. Yeah, at this point. At yeah, this point, like, TJ Leaf's got to be on there. But I got a text from an NBA scout, and he said, we keep going to see Lonzo, and we're blown away by Lonzo, but we keep getting impressed by TJ Leaf. Like, he's going to mess around and end up being a lottery pick. Watch. I mean, he's a perfect stretch four. It he can dribble, he can pass, he can shoot. He's a his assist to turnover ratio is like three to one. He's shooting about forty percent from three point range. Crazy. Like he almost got a triple double last night. Like he, he is in terms of best freshman, we could argue whether it's you know, Lonzo or you know, just statistically speaking, Markel Fultz. But in terms of the most surprising big impact guy, and, and like TJ was a top twenty player, but I don't know like he's posting Kevin Love numbers. He's great. He's great. I have him number four in my freshman watch right now. And, he, yeah, he is ascending. And I don't know if we'll get to a point where him and Lonzo flip because Lonzo runs that offense. Um, I also feel like if his name was Lonzo Leaf coming into the year, we might like just the <laughs> fact that his name is Lonzo. You don't meet any Lonzos. So he's Lonzo or, or, Ball. Or, or Lamellos or Leangelos. Exactly. Exactly. The whole Ball family. Love the Ball and, family. And, Without a doubt, but real quick on Leaf, I mean, discover the them by the way. You uh, you might have done that, yeah. That's the rumor. Um, if you watch the Kentucky tape, Leaf will be able to submit eight to ten reels from that game on his draft highlight submission tape, and it will you know be more than enough to put him in the first round. He has been terrific. UCLA in general has been fantastic uh they are you know averaging what 97 points a game or something like that and ball is able to be amazing and only need to score like 11 points a game he really does the way he passes he can get boards he's a triple double threat uh leaf can be the same kind of deal they're just super fun um and you know that's they've got they've got plenty there so it's really good that they're this good because it's a it's a different kind of style and we talked about that on the last podcast but yeah you saw them against the team they should have steamrolled and they did and now they'll play another one i mean i i would think that that they won't keep it that close against ohio state i i maybe i'm wrong maybe we get a decent one as the appetizer to kentucky carolina but ucla right now is rightfully both you know the number two in the polls and i did my latest tournament resume update um, they have a top three resume in the sport as well right now, as far as I'm concerned. So all things are, are going very well for the Bruins, and they are, I think, officially and fully in the discussion as a national title contender. That was not even the case three weeks ago, but by this point, they're there, and it's hard to see them slowing down, GP. I'll transition to you like, just like this. Like We're going to talk about UCLA probably nearly weekly from here until we get to the tournament. But Well, they check like, every box. They've got big brand, right. pros, and, and yeah. they're awesome. 
Yeah, no, and so here's the deal. Like, no matter what happens, like, if for some reason they hit, hit a lull and they struggle, which I just don't see happening because their offense is so freaking good, uh, when they get to the tournament, no matter what seed they are, they're going to be a threat to get to the Final Four just by nature of the playmakers they have, future NBA players they have, the offense that they run. They are going to be fun. They are going to be must-watch. That's going to be a team that, no matter, you know, even if they're one seed playing a 16, you're still going to want to see them play because they are becoming the highlight real team over the others, by the way, and there's still plenty of very watchable, really good teams. I've talked about this as well. But UCLA is, is quickly just ascending itself to the number one spot of I have to watch them play no matter who they are going up against. The problem for other teams becomes, like, you, you can't beat them in the 60s or in, probably not in the 70s. Like, you got to score because they're going to score. They've been over 100 five times in 11 games, only been kept in the 70s once. The best example of this is, like, if you're Michigan last weekend, like, Michigan scored 50 in the first half. And, and you look up and you go, hold up, we just put 50 and we're tied? Because you, you're not scoring 50 again. Like, how many teams in college basketball can reasonably expect to score 50 in two halves? Like, one, UCLA. So, like, that, they'll have an off night, I'm assuming. But here's the thing. They're not just relying on one guy or one shooter. They got five rotation players shooting above 40% for three-point range. There is Lonzo plus two other shooters on the court at all times. And they can beat you in transition. They can beat you in the half court. Luke Wynn, a buddy from Sports Illustrated, wrote about this a couple days ago. Like, they're leading the nation two-point field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, and they're doing it playing in a top-15 tempo. Like, this is yeah. basically unheard of. It's NBA-style basketball at the college level is basically, you know, the this, this, this story that's coming here. That they're able to move this quickly and be this efficient, yes, it's, it's a revelation right now. It's uh, it's fun to watch, and you know, I uh, I was talking to T.J. Leaf's father last night, Brad. I spent some time with him, and you know, he was he's really interesting guy, like a former professional player, played in Israel. Did you know T.J. was born in Israel? I did know that just yeah. randomly, but yes. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. it's a neat story. He only lived there until he was like two, but his dad's a professional player, and um, and so like he, he, you know, he was born there. He's obviously grew up um, in Southern California, but his dad was like, well, how good do you think they can be? And I said, Brad, I don't like. How many teams can outscore them? They're going to score. Like, they're going to score big numbers every game. Like, I don't see a game where they're just going to look up and be in the 60s and you beat them 66-65. Like, I don't see that. Like, I th- I, you're going to have to go outscore them. And I'm not sure there are many teams that are built to outscore them. Now, of course, watch this. Ohio State will beat them by 12 points or something. But um, <laughs> I, I, I totally think they're legitimate. I, do, I don't think – there's anything fluky about them. I don't think they got lucky at Kentucky. Now, you could play that game again tomorrow. They might not win it. But they didn't get lucky to, and win. They went in there and won. I, they're really good. Like I, I don't only think, because sometimes these two things are, are different things, I don't only think they're worthy of a top four ranking. I think they're a top four team. I, I, I think yeah. they're really, um, really good. And like I said, they will be playing Ohio State uh, – in Las Vegas, that's at the T-Mobile Arena. Uh, that's sort of the undercard, or at least it was supposed to be on paper, but now UCLA is the, the must-see attraction in college basketball, or at least certainly one of them right there with Duke and perhaps Kentucky. So it's great. I, like, I can't wait to watch them again. And then, of course, you get North Carolina and Kentucky, two top ten teams, uh, and we don't know if Barry's going to play for North Carolina yet. Roy said earlier today that he actually said he's skeptical that he's going to play, uh, which would be unfortunate because – I think we saw with Carolina earlier in the week. You know, they got pushed by Tennessee, and a lot of that was because right. they didn't have they didn't have Barry on the court. And uh, you know, with all due respect to Rick Barnes' Vols, if if the Vols can push you in the Dean Smith Center, 
you know, good luck with Kentucky on a neutral court, which ain't really a neutral court because Kentucky never plays in a fair atmosphere that's not a true road environment. If they right. are at home or on a neutral court, it is gonna it they got more fans than any other team. Yeah, and the Dean Smith Center is no O Dome. That's that's for damn sure. I've been saying but that for years. No doubt about it. Anyone that follows the sport knows that's a fact. Um, the Carolina Kentucky game will be intriguing because and I wrote a little bit of preview stuff. You can check this out, cbsports.com, or bring it up on your phone. You'll be able to read uh, Parrish's Huggins column. I hope we're going to get to that before we wrap up the podcast as well. But they're both going to go. So the teams are going to run. They are two of the fastest teams on offense, not quite UCLA level, UCLA level but they both can like, they like to run, and they're going to move fast on offense. And it's an intriguing game because, as we've mentioned on the podcast, GP, Kentucky is terrible at three-pointers, and Carolina just doesn't like to take them. So I actually think this game is going to get into the 80s, and we might see seven total three-pointers, which is absolutely an anomaly in college basketball in 2016. So it will be interesting, but Carolina will be at a huge disadvantage if De'Aaron Fox is able to basically run with Carolina and Barry's not even there to check him. But then again, if Barry's not 100%, do you really want him going up against Fox? I don't know. It'll be interesting. I want to see... What Bam Adebayo does, because I still think he is due for a truly big breakout game of arrival. Carolina's got a really good front guard, but Bam's got some physicality to him. He's very reliable on a game-to-game basis, seems to put up 13 points, 14 points, you know, 7, 8, 9 boards, does that kind of stuff, doesn't hit huge foul trouble. I'm just wondering if this might be the game he breaks out, or does Kentucky uh, look to Monk to, to kind of hit fire there, hit five or six threes? Will that be the difference? I don't know. What I do know is that Kentucky does not yet have a top 10 resume in America. It has a top 10 ranking that it's deserving of, but in terms of its body of work yet, don't have an elite win. This is a huge opportunity because I think Carolina, by the end of the season, is going to be a clear-cut number one, number two, or number three at absolute worst kind of team. And so for Kentucky, it's got a big opportunity here. It's got a huge opportunity against Louisville next week. We'll get to that one uh, on our next podcast as we recap what happened here and look ahead. But this is a, obviously a huge opportunity for both teams to really add just a tremendous win to the resume. And this is, you know, Carolina-Kentucky, two blue bloods, top ten ranking. This, to me, is a top five game of hype and importance to this point in the season so far. Pick a winner, nerd, North Carolina or Kentucky? I will go Kentucky. Give me Kentucky because of the berry factor more than anything. Give me Kentucky 87 87- 81 um game is in doubt with three minutes to go but kentucky kind of separates in the final 90 seconds or yeah so. what about you? i think kentucky wins and like I, I might pick them anyway but i certainly pick them if we know one of two things and it seems that we do know one of two things either barry's not going to play or he's going to be limited and i don't want a limited point guard out there against De'Aaron fox you know like good luck trying to keep up with that dude so um i'll take kentucky maybe i would take them no matter what but given what we know about barry right now uh, I think John Calipari's Wildcats come out of there with what would clearly be their best win of the season. Uh, also this weekend, and, and I'm glad you mentioned it, and we'll get out of here after this, um, Bob Huggins on Saturday. Uh, West Virginia's got a game against UMKC. Uh, under normal circumstances, wouldn't mean anything. Uh, but under these circumstances, it, it means a lot because he is on 799 career victories right now. And so if he wins this game Saturday, which, barring a massive upset, he will, uh, he's going to go to bed Saturday night as just the 10th person in college basketball history uh, to win uh, 800 career games at the four-year college level and with at least 10 years at the Division I level. In other words, there's some guys who have won a lot of games, like at the 
you know, a, a lower level than Division I. Uh, the list is, uh, when described as men who have spent at least 10 years at the Division I level and, and coached all their games at the four-year college level, in other words, no junior colleges, um, but right now there's only nine people who have ever won 800 games, and Bob Huggins is about to become uh, the 10th. And so, just a little inside baseball stuff, I wanted to write about this. I It sort of snuck up on me a little bit. I mean, I think we talked about this earlier in the season on the podcast. It sort of snuck up on me, and so it just happened to fall on a week where I was already going to L.A. and to Vegas. Like, this is not the week for me to be diving into columns that don't have anything to do with me being on the road where I'm actually at. But I knew if I didn't write it now, I, I wouldn't get to it. And so I wanted to write it. And so, like, that's what I've spent most of today doing. And so I wanted to write a column from a, a little bit of a personal perspective because I used to hate Bob Huggins when I was a kid, not, not when I was an adult, not two years ago. I, we're talking, like, 2012 here, guys. No, 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 no. See, I grew up, and I explained all this in the column. Like, I grew up in the Memphis area. And uh, if you grew up in the Memphis area, particularly in that era, it's changed a little bit now because of the Grizzlies. Now, you know, my, my kids are growing up Grizzlies fans. I think most people's kids in that area now are growing up Grizzlies fans. They don't look up to Tigers. They look up to Zach Randolph and to Tony Allen and to Mike Conley and to Marcus Saul. But when I was a kid, like, I didn't – Michael Jordan wasn't my hero. Keith Lee was my hero. Like, if you grew up in that era, like, you loved Keith Lee, and then you loved Elliot Perry, and then you loved Penny Hardaway. You rooted for the Tigers. And nobody on the planet did more to screw up the Tigers' season than Cincinnati coach Bob Huggins. Um, most notably, memorably, like, and I wonder how many times this has ever happened in college basketball. You know, Cincinnati beat Memphis four times in the 1991-92 season twice in the regular season because they were in the Great Midwest Conference, then in the Great Midwest Conference title game, and then in the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament. So Memphis had lost three straight. I can remember this like it was yesterday. I was like you know, 14 years old, 15 years old. And Memphis had lost three times to Cincinnati. It was the Nick Van Axel team, like those tough, just awesome Cincinnati teams. And you're like, okay, well, they can't possibly beat them four times. You know, you got this figured out this time. And so it's Elite Eight game, Kansas City. Elite Eight games are huge because it's like, it's it, you know, you're 40 minutes away as a fan. You're 40 minutes away from watching your team do something that will be remembered forever or losing the Elite Eight. I mean, it really is high stakes stuff. You know, careers are defined by these by these individual games. And so you get all fired up and you're thinking about it and you're dreaming about it and you're talking about it. And then the game starts. They beat them by 31 freaking points, all right? And, and I'm like, what in the world? How did they lose to Cincinnati four times in one season and by 31 points in the Elite Eight? And so I hated Bob Huggins. And that's sort of the way I start the column. Like, you don't understand. If you start talking about people in sports who ruined my childhood, it's not Bucky Dent or – you know, Bill Buck or some of the other people, figures, people might have. It was Bob Huggins, like screwed up my teenage years. And um, and so, I'm t- you know, I had a uh, – Huggins and I spent a long time on the phone earlier this week, and I'm, you know, he knows all this. He knows – like he knows my story. Um, but, like, the point of the column is now Bob Huggins is one of my favorite guys in, in the sport of college basketball, and I can't wait to watch him win his 800th game. Because he is, I, I think, and I don't know if this is 100% true today, but it was 100% true in the 90s, the most misunderstood guy in the sport. You know, they put a black hat on him very early. You know, as he says, I, I, they made me out to be the UNLV of the East because I took all these JUCO guys. 
when I first got the job at Cincinnati. He said, you do what you have to do. I couldn't get talented high school players. Like, p- people won't remember this because of what Cincinnati was under him and what, it, you know, Mick has turned, you know, Mick's got it back to a level of respectability. But, like, Cincinnati was terrible. And so Hugs is like, I couldn't go get elite high school players, not at first. So I took all these JUCO guys. So then I got all these JUCO guys and were wearing black uniforms and I looked like a maniac on the sideline. And, like, people made me out to be all these things that I'm not. And you know Hugs a little bit. If you get around him, like, he's soft-spoken. Like, if you don't really listen to him, you can't even hear what he's saying. Like, he, like, he, like you feel Such like a low he talks like this. Like, I remember the first conversation I ever had with him. I thought I was boring him to pieces. I'm like, oh, my God, Bob Huggins is about to fall asleep. What you find out is that's just the way he talks. You picture him as this rough and gruff guy on the sidelines. He only coaches that way. He's not like that in any other aspect of life. You know, when you know, I talked to Brad Underwood about it, you know, talked to Andy Kennedy for this story, and they both provided some amazing, uh, amazing stories. And so all I wanted to accomplish was just to, to say, hey, here's this guy who I used to think is ex- was exactly what you used to think. I, I, I thought he was everything that was wrong with college basketball, and I hated him because of what he did to my favorite team. But here's the truth. You start, he's a coach's coach. He's a son of a coach. You talk to people in the profession, they almost universally respect him. Everybody likes him. There's a reason why when we ask coaches this summer, if you could have one, if you could have a beer with one college coach in America, who would it be? And the overwhelming winner, overwhelming, was, was Bob Huggins. And so um, I tweeted it like right before we started this podcast. The reaction so far on, on social media has been nice because I, I feel like I, I, did, I was able to offer a glimpse at him at hugs that that maybe other uh, not a lot of other people could and that not a lot of other people have and uh and that's good because i'd like i'd like for people to get a better idea for for who bob huggins really is because he ain't the guy that he was painted to be in the 90s and he's probably not the guy that most people think he is right although i will say that uh a lot of i think huggins's appeal to the everman is that he has had some picadillos uh sure. you know has had some dui um, the incident where he what broke some ribs in a Vegas hotel room like six, seven years ago, things like that. But he is uh, tremendously liked in the profession, like immensely. There are few few guys that like when you bring up his name in conversation, uh, the coach that you're talking to, you see the eyes light up and the, the intonation of the voice kind of accelerate. Izzo is very much another, you know, a coach just like that. So, yeah, man, 800 wins. And he actually made – so I ended up writing about Huggins earlier in the week because, real quick, I mean, he made some laments recently about how, you know, the modern basketball player, not college basketball player, not NBA, not high school, just the modern basketball player is not the same kind of person that we had in the game 20 years ago and certainly 40 years ago when Huggins actually was a good ball player at West Virginia. People forget about this. A lot of these coaches, once upon a time, are really good college players. And so – You know, another Huggins, thing people forget – <laughs> Go ahead. You know who started his college career at Cincinnati? <laughs> Devin Downey. Shout out to That's Devin true. Downey. He did. He started his career. Look it up if you don't believe me. I believe it. No, I, I, I believe it because we said it on the podcast like three times. I just wanted to let that hang in the air. <laughs> but, no, Huggins is right when it came to that kind of stuff. So um, there's a lot of positives about the modern player, but Huggins – Occasionally we'll go on a rant like that. He's definitely uh, entitled to that kind of stuff, and I actually happen to agree with him very much. He's going to win 800. 
I think he'll be around long enough to win 900, and depending on how much he wants to stick around, 1,000 is not, certainly not out of the question. We're going to hit in a, uh, a period here over the next five years, GP, five to seven years, where a lot of big names are going to hit that 900,000 win mark, and uh, we'll be making note of that on the regular. Real quick, I know you said we're going to wrap up, but I do want to give some some fan bases of these teams some shout-outs here because it's actually an interesting weekend, Parrish. For example, Dayton plays Northwestern, and that's not a game that people are going to be dying to see, but Northwestern has never made the NCAA tournament. Do you want to make it this year? Beat Dayton at home. So that's the kind of thing where if you win that game, okay, we'll start to have a general conversation. Uh, for a college hoops diehard, Arizona-Texas A&M at noon on Saturday is an intriguing game to me. Ken Palm has it as a one-point win for A&M right now. Uh, I think it's a good litmus test for both teams. Another game that I actually think will wind up being as a de facto at-large elimination game is BYU at Illinois. Going into the season, I thought both of those teams would qualify as at-large teams. I think if Illinois loses at home there, they basically will have to you know, finish top four in the Big Ten to more in a large bid, and I don't think the Illini will do that. So that's a pretty huge game overall. And then Indiana, just the state of Indiana has the Crossroads Classic. It's a really cool, really fun event uh, that they resurrected a few years back. So you get Indiana versus Butler. Both of those teams have top 10 resumes in my estimation right now. Um, Butler would really do good for the Big East profile and Butler overall if they got a win like that. Like you'd look up and you'd see who Butler's beat. It'd be pretty impressive. Indiana, on the other hand, would have two really good wins. Uh, you know, an unfortunate loss against Fort Wayne, and then they would lose on a neutral to Butler. Their profile would take on a lot of intrigue. And the other game is Notre Dame-Purdue. Uh, I think those are both teams that are fun and interesting, but I think we still got to learn plenty about. So those are ones that stick out to me. There are also other ones for hardcores like Oklahoma State at Wichita State. To me, that's a really fun game. Wichita State should win, but um, but just keep an eye on that. And then Middle Tennessee. They're freaking awesome again, GP. Shout out to Kermit D Davis. Dude, shout out to any dude named Kermit. We don't have enough of them, just like we don't have enough Lonzos in this world. But they play at VCU. VCU has stumbled. That's that's a game that the A-10 desperately needs to win. But Middle Tennessee doesn't mess around. Shout out to Kermit Davis. Absolutely, 100%. And then it's kind of sad, but like because Georgetown's so down, Georgetown and Syracuse, it's, it's a rivalry resurrected from the old Big East. But there's not a ton of buzz there because... We're not sure how good Syracuse is going to be, and Georgetown has had its issues this year. So there's a ton happening around college basketball this weekend. Plenty to look forward to and keep an eye on, see how Bragg plays against Davidson, that Kansas has that Davidson game at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. But certainly Carolina-Kentucky is the centerpiece. But uh, it's a pretty solid weekend of non-conference play. And then really, we're, what, GP, we're like 8 to 10 days away afterward from that, from getting league play going. How about that? On Sunday, of course, Gonzaga, uh, Tennessee, that's going to be in Nashville, not Knoxville. And uh, listen, the Zags should win. But it is worth noting, Tennessee took uh, North Carolina to the wire uh, a week ago, earlier this week, because it was also on Sunday. So uh, perhaps they can give Gonzaga a challenge as well. Doubt it, but maybe it's something to watch on Sunday afternoon. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes, best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again uh, Sunday night. I think Sunday night, depending on what time I get home. I don't know what time my flight is home from Vegas. I know I didn't book the early one. I wasn't going to push my luck. I, I made You're that. not going to do what you did this summer? I you're going to know how and when and where and by what means you got to the airport, GP? Is that what you're saying? I feel like if I don't, things have gone incredibly badly. Um, like I, I don't put anything past me. Yeah, don't yeah, don't put it past me. But I I, rem I remember booking a flight where I was like, you know what? I got on that 6 a.m. flight out of Vegas last time. I don't need to be a hero twice inside the same calendar year. And so I feel like I'm I'm flying home more in the afternoon. Might get home late. But either way, we'll do, we'll do this again on Sunday night or first thing Monday. I can promise. 
can sort of promise that. Till then, take care.